0: CHAPTER ONE OF ZADIG, OR THE BOOK OF FATE, BY VOLTAIRE. THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY GRACE BUCHANAN. THE BLIND EYE In the reign of King Moabdar, there was a young man, a native of Babylon, by name Zadig, who was not only endowed by nature with an uncommon genius— but born of illustrious parents who bestowed on him an education no ways inferior to his birth. Though rich and young, he knew how to give a check to his passions. He was no ways self-conceited. He didn't always act up to the strictest rules of reason himself and knew how to look on the foibles of others, with an eye of indulgence. Every one was surprised to find that notwithstanding he had such a fund of wit, he never insulted, nay, never so much as rallied any of his companions. For that tittle tattle, which was so vague and empty, so noisy and confused, for those rash reflections, those illiterate conclusions, and those insipid jokes, and in short, for that flow of unmeaning words which was called polite conversation in Babylon. He had learnt from the first book of Zoroaster that self-love is like a bladder full-blown which, when once pricked, discharges a kind of petty tempest. Zadig, in particular, never boasted of his contempt of the fair sex or of his facility to make conquests among them. He was of a generous spirit, insomuch that he was not afraid of obliging even an ungrateful man, strictly adhering to that wise maxim of Zoroaster, When you are eating, throw an offal to the dogs that are under the table, lest they should be tempted to bite you. He was as wise as he could well be wished, since he was fond of no company, but such as were distinguished for men of sense. As he was well grounded in all the sciences of the ancient Chaldeans, he was no stranger to those principles of natural philosophy, which were then known, and understood as much of metaphysics as anyone in all ages after him. That is to say, he knew little or nothing of the matter. He was firmly convinced that the year consisted of 365 days and a half, though directly repugnant to the new philosophy of the age he lived in, and that the sun was situated in the center of the earth, And when the chief magi told him, with an imperious air, that he maintained erroneous principles and that it was an indignity offered to the government under which he lived to imagine the sun should roll round its own axis and that the year consisted of twelve months, he knew how to sit still and quiet without showing the least tokens of resentment or contempt. As Zadig was immensely rich and had consequently friends without number, and as he was a gentleman of a robust constitution and remarkably handsome, as he was endowed with a plentiful share of ready and inoffensive wit, and in a word, As his heart was perfectly sincere and open, he imagined himself in some measure qualified to be perfectly happy, for which purpose he determined to marry a gay young lady, one Samira by name, whose beauty, birth, and fortune rendered her the most desirable person in all Babylon. He had a sincere affection for her, grounded on honor, and Samira conceived as tender a passion for him. They were just upon the critical minute of a mutual conjunction in the bands of matrimony, when, as they were walking hand in hand together towards one of the gates of Babylon, under the shade of a row of palm trees, that grew on the banks of the river Euphrates. They were beset by a band of ruffians, armed with sabres, bows, and arrows. They were the guards, it seems, of young Orkin, nephew of a certain minister of state, whom the parasites, kept by his uncle, had buoyed up with a permission to do with impunity whatever he thought proper. This young rival, though he had none of those internal qualities to boast of that Zadig had, yet he imagined himself a man of more power, and for that reason was perfectly outrageous to see the other preferred before him. This fit of jealousy, the result of mere vanity, prompted him to think that he was deeply in love with the fair Samira. And fired with that amorous notion, he was determined to take her away from Zadig by dint of arms. The ravishers rushed rudely upon her, and in the transport of their rage drew the blood of a beauty, the sight of whose charms would have softened the very tigers of Mount Emaus. The injured lady rent the very heavens with her exclamations. Where's my dear husband? she cried. They have torn me from the arms of the only man whom I adore. She never reflected on the danger to which she was exposed. Her sole concern was for her beloved Zadig. At the same time, He defended her like a lover and a man of integrity and courage. With the assistance only of two domestic servants, he put those sons of violence to flight and conducted Samira, bloody as she was and in fainting fits, to her own house. No sooner was she come to herself, but she fixed her lovely eyes, on her dear Deliverer. Oh, Zadig, said she, I love thee as affectionately as if I were actually thy bride. I love thee as the man to whom I owe my life and what is dearer to me the preservation of my honor. No heart sure could be more deeply smitten than that of Samira. Never did the lips of the fairest creature living utter softer sounds. Never did the most enamored lady breathe such tender sentiments of love and gratitude for his signal service. Never, in short, did the most affectionate bride express such transports of joy for the fondest husband. Her wounds, however, were but very superficial, and she was soon recovered. Zadig received a wound that was much more dangerous. An unlucky arrow had grazed one of his eyes and the orifice was deep. Samira was incessant in her prayers to the gods that they might restore her Zadig. Her eyes were night and day, overwhelmed with tears. She waited with impatience for the happy moment when those of Zadig might dart their fires upon her. But alas... The wounded eye grew so inflamed and swelled that she was terrified to the last degree. She sent as far as Memphis for Hermes, the celebrated physician there, who instantly attended his new patient with a numerous retinue. Upon his first visit, he peremptorily declared that Zadig would lose his eye and foretold not only the day, but the very hour when that woeful disaster would befall him. Had it been, said that great man, his right eye, I could have administered an infallible specific, but as it is, his misfortune is beyond the art of man to cure. Though all Babylon pitied the hard case of Zadig, they equally stood astonished at the profound penetration of Hermes. Two days after, the imposthume broke, without any application, and Zadig soon after was perfectly recovered. Hermes thereupon wrote a very long and elaborate treatise to prove that his wound ought not to have been healed. Zadig, however, never thought it worth his while to peruse his learned lucubrations, but as soon as ever he could get abroad, determined to pay the lady a visit, who had testified such uncommon concern for his welfare, and for whose sake alone he wished for the restoration of his sight. Samira, he found, had been out of town for three days, but was informed by the by that his intended spouse having conceived an implacable aversion to a one-eyed man, was that very night to be married to Orkin. At this unexpected ill news, poor Zadig was perfectly thunderstruck. He laid his disappointment so far to heart that in a short time he was become a mere skeleton and was sick almost to death for some months afterwards. At last, however, by dint of reflection, he got the better of his distemper, and the acuteness of the pain he underwent, in some measure, contributed towards his consolation. Since I have met with such an unexpected repulse, said he, from a capricious court lady, I am determined to marry some substantial citizen's daughter. He pitched accordingly upon Azora, a young gentlewoman, extremely well-bred, an excellent economist, and one whose parents were very rich. Their nuptials accordingly were soon after solemnized, and for a whole month successively, no two turtles were ever more fond of each other. In process of time, however, he perceived she was a little coquettish and too much inclined to think that the handsomest young fellows were always the most virtuous and the greatest wits. End of Chapter 1 The Blind Eye Recording by Grace Buchanan